Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. Good to see you this morning. God bless you. I tell you, the worship is just so, I, just, I say it every Sunday, but just a whole other level today. It's just awesome. Would you bless the worship team for blessing us, blessing the Lord? Amen. Well, today we're going to finish up a, a three-part sermon series that we began three weeks ago and uh, just been on uh, dreams, uh, mystery, and divine intervention. And uh, we first Sunday we talked about dreams, shared some about that, and then uh, last Sunday we talked about how important it is to have mystery in our lives, not to have to demand that we understand everything. And then today I want to just focus on what time I have on uh, divine intervention. Uh, what is divine intervention and, and how much of that uh, goes on, you know, in our lives? We've talked a lot about how that God hides things for us and not from us. Uh, in Proverbs 25 and verse 2, King Solomon wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Now, you may not feel very kingly, but the New Testament says that when you're born again, you are kings and priests unto God. And so when the Bible says that he's the king of kings, he, that's talking about you and I. We're those kings that he's the king of. He's the king of kings. And you are never more kingly uh, in your uh, walk with God than when you are embracing uh, and enjoying, really, the mystery that God uh, places in our lives and, and, and just walking by faith. That's why it's called the faith. We walk by faith. Uh, and, and so God has so many ways that he speaks uh, to us. Job chapter 33 and verse 14 says this, For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. And I want to encourage you that I think that's the biggest thing, that God's speaking to you, everybody in here. And you just may not be perceiving it. You may, you, you know, you're looking for uh, thunder and lightning and, and you're missing the still small voice of God speaking to you. Or you're looking for, you know, the elephant prints in the mud. And uh, what God's doing is just gently bending the blades of grass. You know, we're missing, we're missing him. The prophet uh, was shown that by God. You know, there was an earthquake, and the rock split in two, and there was loud noise and, and, and all those things. And God said, yet I'm not in those things. But he said, I am in that still, small voice that is speaking to you. And God is still speaking to every one of you. And, uh, and so I want to talk about that today and talk about how that God intervenes uh, in our lives, and sometimes in a very unseen way, really. And then sometimes in such a dramatic way that we cannot help but give him glory because we know that that God that we serve intervened in our lives, either to save our lives or to change the course of our lives in many ways. So that's what we want to talk about today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the presence of the Lord that is so uh, real in this place today. Thank you for what you've already done in this service and what you are doing and about to do as we yield our hearts to you. Illumine our minds, let our minds be renewed, and let us, Lord God, uh, understand, Lord, by faith, the moving of your spirit in our lives. Father, we give you praise, honor, and glory for it in the name of Jesus, our mighty Savior. Everybody said, 
Turn around, shake somebody's hand, smile at them real big, real big, real big, real big. Tell them welcome to Grace Point Church. We're glad they're here this morning. Matthew chapter 13, we'll put these verses up for you. A lot of times I hear preachers say this, uh, I hear people say this, that Jesus, and we all know that Jesus, if we've read the Bible, especially the Gospels, we know Jesus spoke to them often in parables. And parables are stories uh, to convey things. Now a lot of times I hear people say that the reason Jesus spoke to people in parables is he was trying to get them to understand, you know, things. Well, that's really not true. Uh, the Bible actually answers the question, why do you speak to them in parables? And so it's not to, you know, make it plain or try to, you know, make it plain to them. The parables are actually designed to disguise truth, to hide truth from those that are not yet ready to receive it. Um, Matthew 13 and verse 10 says, Disciples came to him and they said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know, here's that word, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, now this is a weird kind of statement, but hang with me. Whoever has, Jesus said, to him more will be given. Now we don't really like that in our culture. We want, ever, we want God to be like Robin Hood. We want him to rob from the rich and give to the poor, and we always consider ourselves the poor that we want to be given to by God. Come on now. But this is how the kingdom operates. Jesus said, whoever has, then I'm going to give them more. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them. In other words, this is why Jesus said in 13 that I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand? So Jesus is telling them that he has hidden truth and those that are able to receive it will get more revelation. They're going to receive more. But to them that don't receive it, even that that they think they have, one, another one of the gospel says shall be taken from them. It's not that God's taken it from them. Let me give you an example to illustrate the point. Uh, almost every year for the last few years, we've had uh, some type of marriage uh, conference. Guess who comes to marriage conferences? People who have a wonderful marriage. Guess who do not come to marriage conferences? People who are cussing and throwing plates and salt shakers at one another. The very people that need it the most will not be present in the meetings where that instruction is going on. It's just kind of a principle. That's why that when Jesus taught this over and over, it was not just in this one a phrase he talked about the, the talents represented money he talked about one having ten and one giving five and one giving one and we want God to be as I said Robin Hood and we want him to rob from the guy that's got ten and give to the guy that's got one but, but God doesn't do that and in that parable um, God takes that one talent that the man took and buried in the backyard because he was afraid because he didn't trust God and he gave it to the one that had ten so this is how the kingdom operates, and that's why a lot of times, you know, the poor stay poor, the rich remain rich, and we don't understand what's going on 
in our lives, and yet God is trying to speak to us, but we're not perceiving what he is saying to us many times. And uh, so when it comes to divine intervention, even though that terminology is not, uh, phraseology is not in the word in the Bible just like that, but that, that's what the whole Bible is about. It, it is about God intervening in the lives of people. And uh, so really, how, how much is God involved in mine and your life? Uh, you know, the Bible says in the New Testament that God knows the hairs of our head, that they're numbered by God. Does, does he, I mean, do you actually believe that? Does he actually know the number of hairs on my head? Does he really notice whenever Sparrow dies and falls to the ground? I mean, is he that attentive to what's going on on this planet? Does he, or did he create the earth and all that is in it, and then did he leave it in our hands only to come back periodically to check on us to see how we're doing and what a mess we've made of what he gave us? Uh, the Christian believer actually depends on God intervening in their lives. Uh, the deist actually depends on God not being involved at all in our lives. And the atheist depends on that there is no God, and so they're not worried about God. And yet, how do you explain all the things uh, that happen in our lives that are unexplainable? Uh, do humans, do we have involvement in God's plans and in God's purpose not only for our lives individually, but for our communities and even for nations. We, we see strange things in the Bible. We see Moses, the leader of uh, the children of Israel, and that they're, they're in a battle with a foreign army. And, and Moses is told to go up on a mountain and to sit uh, on, a, on a rock and observe the battle that's going down below. And as long as he has his arms raised up, the children of Israel win the battle. But if he lowers his arms, they start losing. Isn't that a strange story? And so two men, Aaron and another man named Hur, they come up alongside Moses and they hold his hands up, hold his arms up. And as long as they hold his arms up, they win the battle. But if they lower his arms, they lose. You see in human involvement there displayed that, that what we do and what we don't do, it matters in our lives. It matters whether we're victorious or not. So even when we pray, I mean, isn't prayer... When you and I pray, isn't prayer really asking for divine intervention from God? We're asking God to intervene in our life. And I believe that God intervenes in our lives, but on what level does he intervene? Is it just at the angelic level, like when he sent angels to, to blind foreign armies for the prophet? Uh, it, you know, how, how involved is God? And I said, and I believe that God sometimes intervenes in our life, and you and I don't even recognize it. And then there's times that, that we know God had to intervene because we can't drive that good. And we know what our car did and how we missed that accident, or we don't even know how that we were not killed in that moment, but, but we know that something supernatural happened in that moment and, and that God intervened in our lives. I, I saw a story just last week on television and this uh, is a true story where uh, a plane just you know it, one of the engines caught fire the thing it was a passenger plane exploded uh and and uh there was a young lady in the plane of course it just next thing she said she sensed was herself falling in the air in, in the in the night it was a night uh, flight 
and uh, and and she woke up uh, the next morning uh, in strapped in her seat, uh, and the seat was folded, you know, front and back on top of her, and uh, she had just very minor injuries, and everybody else uh, on the flight was killed. I mean, how do you explain stuff like that? I mean, how, you know, how, how do you explain stuff like that? And then when you read the New Testament account of uh, the apostle who became the apostle Paul, uh, you see this man didn't pray for any divine intervention in his life, didn't even believe in, in Jesus in that way. And yet God intervened so dramatically that every Christian knows that that Damascus Road encounter where he was knocked off his horse, whatever transportation he was riding on, we assume it was a horse, but he was knocked to the ground, and, and, and then he's blind physically, yet he sees clearer than he's ever saw. And his life takes a dramatic turn. Now, you hear a lot of Christians say that God changed, you know, Saul on the Damascus Road, to his name to Paul. It never says that in the Bible, and God never did that. Um, but Saul is the Hebrew name, and Paul is the Greek name of the same name. So the Apostle Paul actually, because who? was he commissioned to go to? He was to go to the Gentiles. He was to go to the Greeks. And so he used the Greek version of his name just to probably give him more access where they wouldn't reject him so much uh, by that Hebrew uh, name. But irregardless, God brought a dramatic change in this man's life through that divine intervention. And so I, I could stand up here, you know, all, you know for hours. And uh, it, it's so hard for me. And I know some of you have heard some of the testimonies and some of the things that, 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 and even Demisha this morning, she didn't know, but she even confirmed it in my heart because sometimes, you know, I know my stories better than you do and I go, well, they've heard that before or whatever. But, but, but God's done miracles and, and, of course, I've been pastoring for 26 years and, and preaching for over 34 years, so I've got to see a few things. But it breaks my heart sometimes to see believers who really, you know, describe their life to me like they're, nothing supernatural has ever happened, which I don't really believe that. I, I just think they don't perceive the hand of God, you know, in their lives. And then some others have had dramatic things. And so when I say things to you, I'm not trying, trying to say to you, you know, look how God uses me. You know, God's going to use me different than he does you, and he's going to use you different than he does me. Obviously, God knows that I'm standing up before people with a microphone, right? And so God is going to use me. And that way, and we've talked about dreams and visions and, and signs and wonders and miracles. And I wish it happened every day, you know, like the stories that, that I can tell. And I've seen God intervene in individuals' lives. He's intervened like I talked about, I think it was last Sunday, where I was had my life set on another course to go in another vocation. And, um, and I was a paramedic. I was 26 years old. And I never even had any thought of being the chief of the EMS. I had disqualified myself. I had no no background for that, no experience that I could offer for that. And I, I didn't think, you know, county commissioners would hire a 26-year-old, you know, young man to be the chief over an amulet service like that. I just didn't, my, my paradigm, my thought process was not for that. And yet, in a moment of time, I was kind of fussing. I know I was calling it prayer. It's kind of like prayer slash fussing at God and telling God I don't understand because you haven't answered my prayer and I've been trying to get out of this job, you know, because I'm tired of working all these hours. And, and, and I heard the Lord so strongly speak to me. And you go, what did he sound like? I, man, I just knew it was him. And he said there, you know, he, he told me to apply for the job of chief. And I knew when I heard that voice, I would get that job. And I told you, anxiety, I started having anxiety attacks right after that. 
you know, I remember I told you my wife, I sat and I laid in bed one night and having chest pain. Thought I was having a heart attack. And I remember my wife told me, she said, this job's going to kill you before you even get it. You know, that's how much I knew that if God had spoken that to me, that I would be given that job. And I was given a job, and I started on January the 1st of that year. And I worked there for 12 years. Um, you know, it was the year after that that God called me into the ministry, or, or, or should I say that I accepted the call. So God intervenes in our lives, and I wonder how the course of my life would be different. I remember when I was in a denomination in the first church that they tried to call me to be their pastor. I, I never asked them for a church, and they sent me up to Dublin area, and me and my wife and children, and we went, and, and, and it was one of them you know, voting kind of deals, and, and they voted for me to be their pastor. And that was on a Thursday night, and the, the uh, state overseer uh, you know, was going to call me on Sunday afternoon to get my answer. But on Saturday night, God gave me a dream, and it was so clear. And God said in that dream that I was not to take that church. But you know, I still could have took that church because God gives you a free will. And I often wonder how different my life, maybe how messed up my life would have been had I taken, you know, and went where that I knew that God was saying for me not to go. And so I had to, I had to be strong enough, you know, to say to, to someone that, that I highly respected, I'm not going to take this appointment. And, you know, you thought that I would have thought as a young preacher, they would have said, well, we just want the will of God and all that. But he didn't. He said, well, that would have been a great start for a young man like you. I'll never offer you another church as long as I'm overseer. <laughs> and a few more mean things he said. That's not nice. You're not supposed to act like that as a Christian. And so then you have to learn how to to get over things and get your feelings out of the way and just realize that everything ain't like you think, but it's divine intervention. And I remember sometimes things like, I remember being in this little church and, 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 uh, and probably only 40 people there preaching a revival. And, uh, and, and, you know, and they were sitting on pews. It was an older church, and when you opened the, the back doors, you literally were standing outside. You opened the doors and on a little, little front porch, I guess you'd call the entryway, and you were out the door. And I remember right in the middle of my sermon, there was a, I, they, there was a, a young, young man sitting on the right side uh, on the uh, uh, back row, back pew. And, um, you know, and I, I didn't know him. He was sitting by himself. And so he's kind of, you know, standing out, you know, just by being by himself. And I remember right in the middle of my sermon, he got up and, and, and you know, and didn't have to take about two steps. And he would have his hand on the door handle to, to open the door. And it was one of those things that I said something before I even thought about it. And I do that a lot. So be warned. Uh, but he, when he put his hand on the I said, sir, uh, come here. And uh, right in the middle of my sermon, he was leaving, you know. So I said, sir, come here. So he's got his hand on the door handle, and he's looking back at me. And he kind of had a look like that he didn't like that. You know, like I had just embarrassed him or, you know. And I would say the guy was in his mid-20s maybe. And then when I did that, I'm thinking to myself, why did I, I mean, why did I say that? I said, sir, come here. So he just stared there for, you know, seemed like a long time, I guess a few seconds, and then he starts walking down front, and he's not looking happy. So I got that like I know what I'm doing. So I stepped down off the little platform, and he comes up, and, uh, and all the way down inside, I'm praying and saying, God, please show me, tell me, help me, you know. So he gets down front. And I'm just feeling like God's like, you know, he ain't saying anything. 
So if somebody, you're going to pray for somebody, you can always tell them this, you know, Lord loves you. <laughs> I just want to pray for you. Hallelujah. So that's what I did. And so I said, well, Lord loves you. And I just want to, you know, I just felt like I was supposed to pray for you. So he's sitting there looking mean, like bad scrawl on his face, you know. And he's not helping me at all. He's not closing his eyes. He's not participating. And he didn't look like he's enjoying it. He's like he's mad because I didn't let him go out the door. So I laid my hands on his shoulder, and I just prayed, you know, a prayer. Nothing that I could tell was happening, and he wasn't responding in any way. In fact, he just kept his eyes open looking at me, you know. You ever pray for somebody feel like you're just praying for a brick wall? It's just not going, you know, very far. But I knew that I had heard God say, tell him to come here. And the people are looking at me. You can kind of feel that they're going, oh, I feel so sorry for Pastor Dale. He, you know, he's kind of messing up this morning or whatever. And I just kind of, in my heart, I just said, Father, what is it? He said, tell him that he is the reason that I sent you this week. I thought, well, he's not going to believe that. He didn't respond when I told you you loved him. But here it goes. And I just said, uh, I just said, sir, I said, God told me to tell you that you're the reason uh, that he sent me to this city this week. You, you're the reason. When I said that, he burst into tears. He yelled kind of a, a loud cry that was so loud he scared me, <laughs> to be honest with you. And, uh, and he just began to weep. Uh, so loud put both of his hands in the air and uh, and in that moment he, he confessed Christ he received Jesus it took him about five minutes or so to get himself together and he asked could he say something I, I'm not making this up he, he took the mic and he said that I am addicted to cocaine I have been for years I saw the the you know the church here and y'all were having a meeting and I just wanted to come and he said once I got in here and sat on the back row and the singing was going on and everything I just kept hearing and felt like that this voice telling me to get out of here you don't belong in here with these people and he said he said what I had planned to do today was to commit suicide to overdose and he said I had told this God that I wasn't sure I even believed in that I would give him one more chance in my life to do something and I've never been in this church before and he said so I just finally got all I could stand and I started out the door and then you called and told me to come down here and he said and I came and that's what you call divine intervention now that guy so totally dramatically changed his life he gave his life to the Lord he surrendered his life to God and I don't mean that I left and never heard from him again because I knew the pastor. Of course, he'd called me for the revival. That pastor said, that guy, just it just almost breaks your heart. It just makes me want to cry that you get it out. He so loved God. You know, them who have been forgiven much, what's the scripture say? They love much. And he said, that guy just wants to come and be on the church property. He said, he just always, every day, asking me, can he help? Can he rake the yards? Can he do this? Can he clean the church? Can he do this? And, 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 he, and he said, he, said he, just, he wants to be on the property. And he said that God just told him it just makes him feel good to be there. I remember months and months later, our, our denomination that I was in at that time had what they called a camp meeting. 
And I remember I went to that camp meeting, I think it was in June, and I went, and across that big assembly of people, I saw that guy, and he saw me, and he come running across there. And he, he hugged me real strong, you know, and, and then right behind him, what you know, later came the pastor. And he said, this guy's become my right-hand man. He said, this guy, this is my go-to guy right here. He said, this guy does anything and everything for this ministry and this church. He said, you know, he's such a blessing in our life. Was that divine intervention? I guarantee you it was. And then I remember so many times when, when, when God would do things. And, you know, and maybe that's just insignificant to you. I remember being in another city. My wife remembers these stories and these people, but I'm, I know it's going out, so I'm trying to give them some, some privacy. But I remember a similar thing, being in a, in a church in, a, in another city. And I remember looking out, and I, don't, I can't explain all this, but I felt that I was to pray for a certain uh, lady. And uh, so I asked her to come forward. And so when she got up there, uh, as she was walking up, you know, a lot of times God has, has been pretty specific with me about things. And, uh, you know, and, and it's just called knowing. You have that. We call it, you know where it goes off. You just know things you don't know why and how you know them. And, and, and don't overlook that. That's God speaking to you. See, you've got to understand that revelation is just really kind of another name for prophecy. All right, now, now prophecy is unique in the Bible because the Bible says the real true base spirit of prophecy is given for these three primary purposes. To exhort, if you, you know King James, that, that means what? To encourage people. And to comfort people and then to edify, which means to build up. Now, who in here doesn't need that? I mean, who doesn't need to be encouraged, to be comforted if you're going through something, you know, tough, or to be built up? See, so this is what church is about. You'll never come to Grace Point and be beat up. And if anybody was up here preaching and started beating you up, then I'm going to come up front and dismiss them. Because this is not what church is about. That's not what the gospel is about. It's good news. It's not good news and bad news mixed. It's all good news. 100% of the time it's good news. And that's what the gospel is. That's what it means. And if it's not occurring right now, it's not news. It'd be history. So it's not good history. It's good news because God's involved in your life right here and right now. But you might just not have been aware or perceived God intervening in your life. Now, there are those of us like you and like me. I have prayed so many times, God intervened in my life, and, and it didn't seem like anything happened. And then there's times I haven't prayed for God to intervene, and he intervened in a dramatic fashion. And then there's been times that I've prayed and asked God to intervene, and he did in some form or fashion. Maybe probably not in the way that I thought, but he did. I've seen God intervene, just like in that lady's life when she come forward, and I was praying, God, what do you want me to say to her? And when she got down front, this is what God said, and it wasn't just a classic cliche. God said to tell her that I love her. I thought, well, that's my go-to if I don't know what to say. He said, tell her that I love her. My wife would remember this woman. As soon as I said those words to her, she, she burst into tears and began to weep. Her story was similar. She was an elderly lady, lived by herself. Her husband had died. She was lonely. Children don't call, don't visit. She was really in a bad state of depression, had been that way for a long time. She had pills on her nightstand. She told us that night that she was going, she's one of those people. Give God one more opportunity. She came to a church that she was not a member of. She walked in, heard there was a revival, went there, and God intervened in her life. 
And that lady dramatically changed that night. And she's the one that gave the testimony. And, and my wife, remember, anytime I was preaching anywhere in that region, I'll say it that way, for years, I would look out, and guess who I'd see sitting out amongst those people with a big smile? I would see that lady. She thought I was just a wonderful person. <laughs> because don't you, when God uses somebody in your life? I remember being in another city where God intervened totally in the life of a church. And I've seen him do this over and over and over. And, and I'm just going to give real quick highlights of this. But I remember uh, sitting in, you know, in this small church, and, and I looked on the back row, and I see a, a, a person that I knew was a preacher, an evangelist, and his wife. And, and I hadn't talked to them. Or no, I wasn't friends with them. We'd never communicated. And, and I, but I knew as a young man in my, in my home church where I had lived, I remember seeing that guy come once or twice and running revivals for our church. And that, that was the extent of it. And so as I looked, you know, it made me nervous that they were in the meeting because I thought this guy's like a professional preacher and I'm just, you know, not there yet. And I remember, you know, being kind of nervous. But as I got to the end of the service, I felt the Lord impress me to pray for his wife in particular. And, uh, and so kind of timidly, and I'm just saying all this stuff is by faith, guys, when you... When you, when you share with people, and, and I said, can I pray for you? She comes forward, and I asked the husband to accompany her. And when they come down front, I don't know what they're doing, where they're living. I don't know anything about their lives. But as soon as she stood before me, now don't misunderstand this, and I'm trying to give it to you exactly like it happened, but I had this image in my mind. I can't honestly tell you that I saw it like with my natural eyes like a TV screen. No, no. But I had a clear image in my mind, and when she stood before me, I saw a clump of grapes purple grapes. I saw a pair of silver scissors, big scissors, go right in the middle and cut the grapes. I saw what was cut and fell to the top of a, a table, a brown table, and the grapes rolled in every direction off of the table. And that was the imagery that came to my mind. And then the next image I saw was that pastor's wife's face with tears, crying. And I heard her saying, why, God? Why? And then, so as I'm seeing this in my mind, in my spirit, I am telling her this. And when she said, when I saw her say, God, why, God, why? I heard God say, tell her this, that it may bring forth more grapes, bigger grapes, and better grapes, says God. Now, what in the world does that mean? I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. See, it's, it's called a word of prophecy not a paragraph. So you just have the word. They got the paragraph in the whole book. But you're giving them a piece that they need. Now let me say something to you, lest you think I'm just talking about some preacher that God uses. The Bible says all of you can prophesy. So all of you can speak to men for their comfort, for their edification, building up, and for their encouragement. So everybody in here, you have that capacity and ability to prophesy. Now that does not make you a prophet there's three things. There is the gift of prophecy. There is the spirit of prophecy. And there is the, the gift of the prophet. Okay? So, when, listen. Anybody in here that has a relationship with Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10 says this, that, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, anytime that you as a believer share what Jesus has done in your life, you are prophesying in that moment. And the spirit of prophecy is present between you and the person you're talking to and literally is saying, do it again, God. 
So the power of God is always with you and is always in you, and you can all prophesy because that's what the testimony of Jesus is. So when, that, when I said that to that uh, pastor's wife, uh, man, she was reacting with tremendous tears, and he was standing behind her crying with tears running down his face. And I knew something important was going on, but I had no clue what was happening. I just simply go on to the next person and begin to pray. That same thing can happen to you. But that's why I go on and I pray. After the meeting, that pastor and his wife comes up to me, and they said, well, we want you to come to our house tonight. We have to talk to you. You, you'd have to admit that's a little bit unusual. So I, I, I uh, found out where they lived, and, and, uh, and, and I drove from the meeting to another city to where they lived and met with them. And I walked in, and they said, you have no, no idea what God did. And, and, and the short version of this is just a few weeks prior to that night, this guy was pastoring. I didn't even know it. So he was pastoring in a church, and, 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 and I, I, you know, he had you know, about 100, 120 people. And on a Sunday morning, a person that was a member of his church stood up in the middle of the service and challenged his leadership and spoke some things that were very hurtful and walked out of the church, and half of the church turned and went out with this person. I mean, that's not a good Sunday, okay? It broke his heart, obviously. He lost half of his church. And with tears, he said, people walked out and followed that person, that rebellious person, they walked out and followed that person. He said, some of the people went out with that person that I thought would have given their life for me. That's how he was so hurt. And so this is why he said he was in that meeting. He was trying to go anywhere that God was doing anything and just to put himself in a position to hear from the Lord. So God honors that faith. So here they are, come to a little town, one traffic-like town where I was preaching a revival. He lived in a bigger city. And he came to that little town where a, really a young preacher, no famous guy, just little old Dale Young preaching, but he put faith out there and God honored that faith and God used something as insignificant as me to touch his life and, and move in his life. Now, he said, you're a prophet, and he just went, you know, like, really excited. And he said, I want you to come run a revival for me as quick as you can get here. So I looked in my little point book and I scheduled a revival, and I went. Uh, God moved in a powerful way, and God used me to speak life into that church and hope. Now, this is the absolute truth. Uh, when I was there, we closed out revival. He said, I want you back in one year, exactly a year. So I said, okay. I booked it. Listen to me now. Come on, you people that build. Listen. But Tom, I, he, this is what he, he called me sometime later. After I had left that revival, and so, they're, you know, they're kind of a hurting church. But God had me speaking to the bones. You understand? Prophesy like Crawford said to the, to the bones. Don't, don't speak to your mountain. Don't tell God how big your mountain is. Tell your mountain how big your God is. That's the difference. And um, so um, the problem is you've got too big a mountain and too little of a God in your eyes. And so after I'd only been gone a few weeks, he said he looked out. He was sitting on, they had that, you know, in those days the preachers a lot of time was set up here. He looked out, and the back doors of the church opened. He said, people just started pouring in like molasses, just, just kept coming. People he did not know, nor had ever been there. Listen to me. He said over 100 people came on a Sunday morning, knew that he had never seen before. Whew, I'd like to have that Sunday. Over 100 people walked in to his church. They filled it to overflowing. 
Uh, now, the, the sad part of that is those people were a part of another church in that city, and they had been a great failure by that leader. It had just hurt so many people. And so, but that was 100 people out of that church that said, let's go over to that church. So they become part of that church. And all of a sudden, his church that was left with like, you know, 50 people now has 150 people. And the dynamics of that church changed and God intervened. And when I went back that one year later, they had already built a brand new facility, twice as big as the one they was in, beautiful facility, and they had got it done that quick because that's how quick, within two weeks of me leaving that revival, it wasn't because of me, but because of God, God intervened in the life of that church and he changed it. And God, God is always doing that stuff. And, and I would say to you that what you need to do is just be expectant for God to intervene in your life. And be expectant for God to speak to you and to speak through you. Because you may all prophesy. Now don't try to go around and get a business card and write profit on it and all that kind of stuff. And it, All that's not important. And, and, and there's a lot of people still in the church loves titles. You know, but it's not about that, guys. It's about you allowing the Lord to speak to you and to use you to speak to people that so desperately need to be spoken to by the Spirit of God. I've seen God, I told you, when, you know, one of the dreams that I didn't mention, but God can speak through dreams. He can speak through all kinds of stuff. And, you know, and, and God has used dreams often in my life. And I remember that my wife was so, so friends with the lady, and she really befriended the lady because the lady was going through a difficult marriage. And we're pastors. And I had tried to counsel with them and all, and, and the guy was just a knucklehead, man. He just wouldn't listen. And he was mean to her. And uh, I remember sitting in my office one day, and she was crying. And, and she was raised by great godly parents. You know, I knew her parents. And uh, I didn't marry them. But they had gotten into a, a fuss. And <clears throat> with, with just shock and horror, he had pushed her down in the living room. And she had hit the coffee table, and, and it broke. And... She was horrified by that violence. should never happen. Man, you should never put your hands on your wife except in love and adoration. You'd never do it. Same for you women. See, you thought I was going to leave you out, didn't you? Just don't, don't put your hands on one another in anger. Don't do it. You know they'll lock you up for that too, by the way. <clears throat> her heart was so broken. My wife befriended her, went through a horrible divorce. Short, short in the story. Went, it ended up divorced. She didn't want it to happen. I remember my wife walking out and telling me one day that the divorce is final today because right up to that last day, this woman kept believing that, you know, it's going to turn around. She met a bunch of ladies in the church prophesying, he's going to turn around, he's going to come back, he's going to do it. Well, I don't know. You know it just didn't happen that way. They had wishful thinking. It wasn't really a prophecy. Okay? But it didn't happen. Divorce ended. And I, when my wife told me that, she said she is just devastated today. This is, this is it. Divorce final day is over. I said this is both the worst and best day of her life. I know it's worse because she's hurting, but it's the best day to get on past this here and go on with her life. Just a few weeks after that, this woman's been heartbroken, bleeding spiritually. You understand? I go to bed on Saturday night. I have a dream. And I see this woman. And I see her give birth to a little girl. And I see her hold the little girl. And I see the little girl in frilly dresses. And I see all of that. And when I woke uh, from the dream, the Lord told me to prophesy to her. I'm terrified, really. <laughs> I mean, I've never prophesied to a woman don't even got a husband. You're not supposed to prophesy babies if they don't have a husband. 
because that's kind of out of order, right? But I go to church, and so I, all the way to church, I was trying to console myself from my fear and anxiety and saying, well, maybe she won't be there today. <laughs> that way I'll know that I don't have to do this and whatever. And because if she ain't there, I can't prophesy. So look, there she is, midways in the congregation. And by the way, in our church, we record everything, even prophecies. So I called the woman up front in front of God, the congregation, and everybody. And I said, I saw you in my dream, prophetic dream from the Lord. And I saw that the dream of your heart has always been, since you were a little girl, is to have you a little girl. And, uh, and that, uh, but I saw your little girl last night. She's beautiful. And the Lord says, if you will not faint, you will hold that, the day comes, you'll hold that daughter. And the dream of your heart will be a reality and not a, not a fairy tale. Man, she was burst out in tears. And I was really afraid to prophesy to her because she had enough sense to know if I'm prophesying a baby, guess what also I'm prophesying? A husband. And I didn't know if she wanted another one then. But the one she got on the first go-around wasn't, wasn't too hot. And, uh, but I was just dumb enough to prophesy it. And, uh, and she confirmed that, yes, that's been always the dream of my heart. Time goes on. There's so many people here like Pastor Keith and Jennifer and my wife. So many, they know everything I'm telling you is absolute God's truth. And so she meets a man, started attending our church. And I just want to say this to encourage you. I, don't, I, don't, I just want to encourage you, but I'm just saying that this lady didn't fit what she thought or the magazine covers thought should be the perfect woman size. Okay? So much in our society is so cruel and hurtful to people. This young man started coming to our church, and all men are ugly to me, including me. So, don't, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. That's one of those things that flies out before you know. <laughs> but in other words, I don't ever, I've never looked at any man and go, man, he's good looking. Ain't he fine? I've just never done that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, woman, yeah, men, no, you know. So, uh. But I, we had several single uh, women in our church, and, and, and they, you know, they, it created a buzz in, amongst them women because they was all kind of vying for this guy's attention because the women said he was fine. And my wife had always encouraged this woman, trying to encourage her, and told her, you know, especially after baby prophecy, that God's going to give you, what did you do, uh, TDH. And, and so I, one day I heard her saying, don't forget, TDH. And I was like, what in the world? That sounds like some kind of spray. You spray on weeds or something. TDH. And, and she said, well, I said, what does that stand for? She said, tall, dark, and handsome. And she said, I'm just telling it God's going to send her TDH, tall, dark, and handsome. Don't worry about it. You know? Okay. Well, this guy comes. All these other sisters was vying, you know, for his attention. He didn't give no attention to any of them but to this lady. And she, she had disqualified herself because she saw herself less than. And nobody should do that. And so God knit his heart to her. I married him. They got pregnant or, you know, or tried. Long story, long time, they, they were told by doctors they can't get pregnant. You're never going to have a baby. You're going to have to do in vitro, all that kind of stuff. But none of that happened. God did a miracle. And they had a little girl, and her name is Mary Alice. And she is a beautiful little girl. She's been in every pageant I think they have in the country. I mean, she's, she's been in every Philly dress and just a wonderful a little little precious thing and I remember the Sunday that we dedicated her I didn't ask for this I didn't orchestrate this but that couple that mama who listen who was a single woman 
without hope, disqualified in her mind, and thought her dream was over. She came in there with a cassette or CD, whatever it was. She said, this is the prophecy several years ago when you prophesied to me right after that divorce that I would have a little girl. I remember the day that my, they did the first ultrasound on her when she got pregnant. My wife come out there to me, you know, and said, they, they, you know, she got her ultrasound results. It's a girl. I said, of course it is. That's what I prophesied. <laughs> Man of God, that's what I said. <laughs> really inside, I'm going like, Phew, praise God. You say, well, what would you have done, Brother Dale, if it was a boy? I'd have said, there's a girl on the way. Hallelujah. I mean, she's going to get two. But so, so she said, Pastor, can we play this before we dedicate Mary Alice? Can we play this prophecy for the church at her dedication? I said, it's your dedication. We'll do what you want to. I remember when we played that, and those people could hear the words of the Lord prophesied to a single woman who don't even have a boyfriend that she's going to have a hold a little girl and then they're standing there, and you can see them with your eyes holding that little girl. Man, every hair on your body stood at attention to the Holy Spirit. And everybody in that moment in that church believed that God could do anything for anybody. And their faith went so high. Because that's who God is. That's who he is. And he loves you just as they've told us. He is no respecter of person. I can't tell you how God's going to intervene. But I can promise you this. He will he has, and he'll do it again. And I want you to walk out of here today with faith and confidence knowing that you serve a God that is not limited by anything. And He and, and will I get an angelic visit? You'll get one when you need one. God will give you whatever you need when you need it. He won't withhold any good thing from you. God loves you, and he's, he's involved in your life, whether you see it or recognize it. I'm just asking you to just be, to, to listen to the Lord. Just make yourself, just say, Father, I'm listening. And if you're like me, I, I, you know, here I've been in a season where I've been praying, God, intervene in my life. Intervene in these situations, these problems I got. I mean, come on, help a brother out. I mean, can't you see? I mean, I, I'm like that too. I want God to intervene, and I want him to come down, split the heavens, you know, do that stuff. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. But you have to cultivate a heart of trust and just know that God's with you, God is in you, and God is for you. And it says that he would never withhold any good thing from you. He hides stuff for you. And just, just be that person that has that childlike heart to look for those things that God is saying and look for what he's doing in your life. Amen. You received the word of the Lord today. Would you stand with me? Come on, give God praise. Come on, let's praise him. Come on, I preach better now. Come on now. <laughs> Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God help us all to give testimony of what Jesus has done and release the spirit of prophecy. Can I say this?